Please be seated. I'm just going to pray for us before we begin. Father God, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Would you use me to speak to each and every person in this room today that they would go out different than when they came in. In your name, amen. Can it really be the end of September already? I didn't even realize September arrived. (laughs) It already seems to be getting dark earlier and earlier. The nights are drawing in. Soon the whole day will be dark and cold. So you can guess the real reason why I'm moving to Uganda. Um, It's on the equator. (laughs) There's 12 hours of daylight, hot weather all year round. Okay, well, there's a bit more to it than that. Um, (laughs) I'm so grateful and excited to be sharing with you this morning a bit of my story. Um, This isn't just about me going to Uganda, as we've already said. It's about asking, can we go on this journey together as a church? Care where others are planted is an opportunity to think about how God calls us to support our world mission partners and to boldly pray, break my heart for what breaks yours. And allow God to show us the situations outside of our day-to-day lives that we can join in seeing God's kingdom here on earth. Hasn't the teaching been fantastic Fantastic <laughs> in the last few weeks? And I'm not just saying that because my mum works here. <laughs> it's been great to find opportunities each day to show Jesus' love to the people around us right now. We've been reminded to follow our individual calling in God's mission, to be aware of our field, and to seek first the kingdom of God as we go through our normal daily lives. Our hearts are led in different directions by Jesus, to join in different missions, and it is great that CBC, at CBC, that we have many different groups that we can join on Church Street to show our care for others who are planted around the world. Within church, God may have laid specific person or people on our heart, and when we hear about them or see them, we feel a burden to support them in some way. We must be courageous to turn that burden into supporting them, whatever means we have, whether it's our resources, our time, our money, a voice, our actions, and most importantly, demonstrating God's love. For me, God has broken my heart for people with profound and multiple learning disabilities and special educational needs. This calling started at birth, which was 10,174 days ago. If anyone's good at maths, you can work out my age. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm not going to share every single day. (laughs) I just thought I'd share it to make my mum feel old. (laughs) So why special needs? Whilst my mum was expecting my twin sister and I, she was told that I had hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain, and spina bifida, which meant that I probably wouldn't have been able to walk, and my chances of living were very slim, and therefore both of our chances of living were quite slim. After prayer and incredible faith from people surrounding our family, I was healed while still in the womb. However, I was still a poorly baby, born with a rare benign tumour, and had to be operated on at four days old, which I was very fortunate to survive and recover without any complications at all. Then it wasn't the end. (laughs) At four months, I had clicky hip, um, which resulted in me being in a cast and two more operations. As a result of this start to my life, I have always felt a deep connection with children with special needs, an awareness that it could have been me, well, it could have been any of us, and a desire to use the life I have been blessed with to break down the barriers for children with disabilities as God broke the barriers for me. As my understanding of the world expanded, I became burdened, frustrated and angry 
that I was free to run, jump and play, whilst other children with complex disabilities couldn't. These are some of the stats um, just for the UK. Um, so for almost a quarter of families with children with disabilities, their costs go up by £1,000 more a month than your average family. 87% of parents of children with a disability feel judged when they're in public, which is a crazy amount of people. One study found that one in two people with a learning disability also have a mental health problem, compared with one in six people in the general population. Travel a bit further, and in many cu countries, the situation is even worse. People with disabilities are stigmatised, shut out of communities, lacking basic medication and nutrition, shut away in households or abandoned on the streets, deemed cursed and uneducable. And it's actually not that long ago that they were deemed uneducable here too. Having seen this firsthand, I cannot unsee it. And therefore, I have a responsibility to do something about it. These are loved, cherished children made in the image of God and should be treated as such. So if it's so bad even here, why am I going to Uganda? I'm not sure, to be honest. <laughs> Apart from the fact that God made a way for me to go there <laughs> and then it became a burden on my heart. I deferred my place at university so I could go on a gap year, but my original plans fell through. So in August 2012, I had no idea what I was doing in September. <laughs> I went to Soul Survivor, and there I visited every stall that advertised a gap year and picked up every leaflet. <laughs> and when I got home, I laid out all the leaflets on my bed and prayed that God would open a door. I was drawn to Smile International. A lot of you will know Alex Gift, because we support him here. Um, and their programme was doing education, so I emailed and asked if I could join their gap year. Seven weeks later, by the grace of God, I had fundraised the exact amount that I needed, got a new passport, and was on the plane to Uganda for six months, which then turned into nine. My poor mum. Whilst I was there, God took me to Shisachi, a charity working with children with disabilities. My heart broke for these families and their stories, and I knew this was where I was supposed to be. You have to bear with me as I tell these stories, because they're quite emotional. Um, so... I'll try my best. <laughs> I met Kato. Um, Kato is the boy on the far left in the orange T-shirt. Unfortunately, he's not facing this way. Um, and his mum there. Um, and on the right of... So that's me with the red shirt. And then on the right is Charles, who's the founder of Shisachi. Um, so Kato, a boy with cerebral palsy and other complex medical needs. The first time I met him, he was using a stander. He seemed fairly healthy and came to visit the therapy centre. He's non-verbal, but his eyes tell us the whole story. His excitement when we sing together is obvious. <laughs> he is a twin like me, so I instantly connected with him. When I visited him a year later, his health had drastically deteriorated. I was heartbroken to return and find him malnourished, lying on a dirty floor, unable to stretch his legs. I knew that in England, he would have had access to nutrition and medication that could have prevented this. He is my friend and a child that my mum and I sponsor. Made in God's image, loved, valued and cherished. I met Jamira. It's going to start already. Um, so Jamira's on the right there with me. Gorgeous girl. Um, she's non-verbal and autistic. Um, she suffered at the hands of a corrupt charity, trying to make money of prescribing her the wrong medication. 
She had an infectious giggle, a very strong grip when she got excited, and could give a great high five. <laughs> One time I visited her to find out that she had been tied to a post at her grandma's as behaviour management. So the Chisachi team, the Chisachi team had gone to rescue her. A year later, she passed away from a treatable illness. I felt so angry that she had not had access to the life and education she could have had. Jamira is just like us, a child made in the image of God. Once I had seen this reality, I could not go back to my comfortable life. Once I knew the truth of what was happening around the world, I felt responsible to follow God's call, and the call is clear. 1 John 3, verse 17 to 18 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love in word or talk, not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Proverbs 21, verse 13 is very sobering. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Psalm 82, verses 3 to 4. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. This selection of verses represents many more that are very clear. God doesn't just ask for us to care for the less fortunate. He demands it of us. I felt convicted to complete my training after my visit to Uganda, so I could have the skills ready to make a difference. I studied research and education at Southampton, and whilst I was there, one of my course mates worked at Rosewood Free School, which is a school that educates children who have similar needs to the needs of the children I've worked with in Uganda. Once I had graduated, one Saturday, my mum and I were sat chatting, and I told her I wanted to be a teaching assistant at Rosewood Free School. We prayed about it together, and on the Sunday morning, I arrive at church to my mum excitedly <laughs> telling me that Joe Reed, the deputy head at Rosewood Free School, was there, and it was her first Sunday she'd ever been to CBC. <laughs> Phenomenal. I excitedly introduced myself and asked for a job. <laughs> Fortunately, there was a job available, and the rest is history. That was actually when I joined CBC, um, and shortly after that, I began working as a teaching assistant or we call them learning assistants at Rosewood, before training as a teacher, with support from Joe and others, and teaching at Rosewood for three years. The God incidences continued <laughs> phenomenally again, because Joe moved on to a new role, and the deputy head who came in had recently been to Uganda and visited Akisa. And from what she said about it, I knew it was where I wanted to work, so I applied for the job, and that's how I'm where I am today. God is so good and faithful when you follow him and you want to follow that call that he has given you. I would like to ask that as a church family we join together on the rest of my journey as I continue to follow where God has called me. Hopefully it's fairly obvious, but why am I going? <laughs> Katie Davies is a young American woman who founded a children's charity in a um, in the same area I'm going to be working, and I think she summed it up perfectly. How can someone understand God's unconditional love for them if they have never been unconditionally loved? What a challenge. 
How can someone understand God's unconditional love for them if they have not felt God's unconditional love? We are called to unconditionally love, as Jesus did. A perfect example of this in the Bible was Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He washed washed all of their feet, even Judas, when he knew he was going to be betrayed. Wow, if only we could act with that level of unconditional love. As Daniel Strickland said, this is radical inclusion and hospitality with no bounds. This is how the kingdom of God will be displayed. As we have already covered in our sermon series, compassion is a vivid verb. I think that's been our favourite buzzword this last few weeks. Compassion is a vivid verb. That means it's a doing word. Sorry, put my teacher hat on for a second. And yet it can become just an overwhelming feeling in our busy 21st century lives. God's motive is love. We must fix our eyes on Jesus, our firm foundation, and it will challenge our motivation. Feelings of pity and guilt or feelings of ought to do do not bring about change. They lead us to despair and they are of the devil. God did not come to condemn the world. He came to save us. So when we connect with God, we allow God's love and that changes everything. Danielle Strickland openly tells a story of her conversion to Christ. I don't know if any of you have seen Danielle Strickland speak. She's very inspirational. Look her up if you haven't got to hear her preach. She was addicted to drugs and, in her own words, a juvenile delinquent. Someone from the Salvation Army felt prompted to go and visit her in her prison cell on her lunch break. She went in and all she did was hug her and say, I love you. What was Danielle's response? You didn't even bring me a smoke. (laughs) But that evening, Jesus met with her. Um, He came into her prison cell, and it had eternal implications, not only for Danielle, but the thousands of people she preaches to. The Salvation Army lady listened and obeyed. It was her servant heart that sowed the seed and led Danielle to Jesus. And the only fruit she saw, that the Salvation Army lady saw initially, was a plea for cigarettes. The church is God's answer to suffering, and yet the church is made up of humans. The chasm between what we claim to believe and what we actually do is heartbreaking. The Father's heart is extravagant and compassionate, relentless love and redemption, and somehow we've got too busy to do it. The reality is there are millions of needy people, but there are 2.1 billion people who proclaim to be Christians. If all Christians supported each other to care for people the way that lady cared for Daniel Strickland in her prison cell, imagine the impact. Imagine the reach that we would have in the kingdom of God. We must keep loving whoever God places in front of us as we go. As Titch and Joan, who founded the Live Charity in South Africa, which also works with vulnerable children, said, don't wait until you're older and don't wish you were younger. (laughs) Think about the gifts, talents and resources you have right now and say, yes, Lord, send me. And by his grace, he will use your life for his glory. We can go armed with grace and show others that they can be set free. Sorry to go on to COVID, but I thought it was a good illustration. What did Boris mean when he said, stay alert? I remember seeing it on the motorway and thinking, what on earth? How do I stay alert to something I can't see? (laughs) 
We couldn't see COVID creeping around. We couldn't see it coming out of people's mouths. Um, however, we did put things in place to love each other and to protect each other, as we're all wearing masks now, social distancing, hand washing, blah, blah, blah. We're all used to it by now. Um, but it has saved lives. It's become the new normal. That was also an annoying phrase, wasn't it? But it's true. <laughs> what are we doing to stay alert for Jesus? No apologies for the cheesiness. What new habits should we form to be the new normal when it comes to serving Jesus in our everyday lives? As we were reminded a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. We must stay alert. We must be aware that the harvest is all around us and that people are there just waiting for God. We must change our behaviour to spread God's love and stay alert to poverty even when it's easier not to. When everyone is doing the role they are called to do in the church, we could literally save lives. But it's not just about going. We all have our part to play in doing this together. We are in God's mission together. How reassuring, (laughs) because I don't know about you, but that all feels quite overwhelming, and it's good to know that we've got each other, isn't it? If you can't physically go, what should you do as you go, as you go about your daily life? Well, we can't all go to Uganda, I hear you cry. Imagine if we did, be a full plane. So how can we get involved in what God is doing from Christchurch to the rest of the UK and around the world? We had a conversation in our home group a couple of weeks ago, um, and I'm sure it's echoed around the church. Poverty seems so overwhelming. Where do we even start? The over-negative depiction of poverty certainly doesn't help. It doesn't give a rounded view of what actually goes on in people's lives across the world. In turn, it subtly makes us feel hopeless and like there's no point in responding at all. However, Jesus promised to make a way where there is no way. We should be captured by compassion, not become despondent to devastation. We should be captured by compassion, not become despondent to devastation. It is time to pray for a passionate burden that moves us into action. When we're stressed, we often find ourselves saying things like, one breath at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time. What if we applied that to our Christian lives? If we're feeling hopeless about the state of the world, one of God's children at a time, one of God's people at a time. Love is not about numbers. Love is about real love. I just said love. Love is about loving people, (laughs) real people. Rather than trying to fix the problem by erratically giving money to causes we don't understand, we need to focus on building relationships. After all, that is the only way to love others. It's about relationships with people who need Jesus, but also relationships with those serving God away from home. There are many ways to follow God's call to build his kingdom that don't necessarily involve going to the ends of the earth. You can speak on behalf of people who have no voice. You can make ethical and sustainable choices while you're shopping. You can make financial giving count by taking the time to actually understand where your money is going. Giving is a chance for us to participate in someone else's vision and mission and put our resources in God's hands to further his kingdom, further afield. In Deuteronomy it says, When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. 
Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Notice how we're not actually asked to go above and beyond or do anything extraordinary in this verse. It's just, we're just asked to allow others to gain what they need from everyday occurrences in our daily lives. A quote I love from my time living in Uganda is, in Africa we share. Sharing is much more ingrained in their culture than it is in ours. They share out what they have between their friends and family, and it's almost like a tax, it's almost expected. Acts 2 gives us the message that if we share, we will always have enough, and I'm sure you've heard it said many times that there are plenty of resources in the world to go around. The spirituality of fundraising. Fundraising is a rich and beautiful activity. It is confident and joyful, hope-filled experience and the expression of ministry. In ministering to each other, each from the riches that he or she possesses, we can work together for the coming of God's kingdom. We don't know what we are capable of until the opportunity arises and we can pull all our resources together. If you'd like to turn to your Bibles, I'll be reading 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 to 9. That's 1 Corinthians 3, verses to nine. It's up on the screen as well. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither one who plants nor the one who waters are anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labour. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. God's building. Thank goodness God does the work. <laughs> Caring where others are planted is using our resources widely and wisely, wisely to support each other's work for God's kingdom. It's working together as a church family with other believers to follow God's call. To give to food banks, to support world mission partners, to volunteer in a charity, to give your money knowing it will all be used wisely for God's kingdom. This could be the part of the mission field God has called you to. Don't feel that just because you haven't been called to go that you're not being called to do. Without financial, prayerful, encouraging support and a support network that has Jesus as the foundation, being a Christian worker would be impossible. I'm sure Chris and my mum would testify to that. <laughs> In our seed analogy from Corinthians, church support could be the seed planting, missionary waters it, and God is the grower. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. God entrusts us with different roles and tasks as part of his work. God's blessing and reward in the lives of Christians varies according to their faithfulness and to the task he entrusts them with. I think that's the first time I've ever really grasped that. Enabling a Christian worker to follow their calling in the mission field is one way we can be faithful to God. We have already been justified through faith, thank goodness, but our rewards will be in accordance with our good deeds. Jesus will recognise before God those who have responded to the call to compassion and commitment, investment and devotion as we become burdened for our broken world. I cannot change people's views of disability single-handedly. I need people to believe in and support that mission. Paul sets us a challenge not to be like babies drinking milk in our faith, 
continuing to behave like we do not know what we have been called to do, but to move on to solid food, behaving like spiritual people we are transformed to be. We are servants that must do what God has given us to do. We're not in competition with each other. No one is better than anybody else for the things they are or aren't doing. The message in this passage is clear. We have different jobs and God does the growing. As Jesus is the foundation, we must continue to work together and serve each other and love each other. Some of us can pray for our mission partners. Some of us can pray for each other and be there for each other. Some of us can volunteer our time or provide emotional support, become mentors. There's so many different ways that you can serve. In a moment, we'll, we'll, we'll have a moment to ask God what he would like us to do. When we have the courage to ask, we are more likely to notice the opportunities to serve him. It is exciting and dangerous to ask God to break our hearts for what breaks his. I did that once. <laughs> when you are bold and courageous, however, in the words of Take That, today could be the greatest day of your life. <laughs> because today you could change someone else's life without even knowing, sowing a seed that somebody else waters and that God grows. Let us pray. Father God, we are so aware that the harvest is big and the workers are few. Would you show us now what you are calling us to do? I pray that you would open our hearts and speak to us really clearly on what it is you want us to do within this church and within our community. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Jesus, that we do not do this on our own, that we do it with you and then we do it with each other. Would we feel that sense of community as we go out into our week? Would you move in us and through us, in the car, at school, at work, at home, on the beach, in the shops, wherever we are, would we be aware of your presence this week, moving and changing, not only us, but the people around us? Would you prompt us to love those who need to be loved this week? In your name. Amen. Now, I'm going to put myself out there a little bit. <laughs> um, there was a song that I wrote with a couple of friends in Uganda, um, and I feel that I want to share it. I have shared it with the church before, but that was during lockdown, so it was a bit less scary because I was behind my phone. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I'm a bit nervous, so bear with me. Um, but I feel that it's something that I want you all to have the chance to reflect on and hear the truths within the song. Um, and yeah, just use it as a chance to reflect, listen to the words, or use it as a chance just to continue praying.
Stand up now to my 